Welcome to Curveball Defied. On today's podcast, we have the pleasure of having Jonathan Aberman. Jonathan received his bachelor's from George Washington University and his master's from the University of Cambridge. On today's podcast, we'll discuss his contributions through being a dean, investor, and his role in media. When people think of a VC, they automatically think of Shark Tank. And what, like Kevin O'Leary is like that guy who's always super real. He's like, your idea is great. Your sales suck. I don't know what to tell you. Or like when your idea is really bad, he's like, you got to take it behind the barn and get rid of it. And, yeah. and those ideas, like when an investor tells you that, obviously, if they didn't care, they wouldn't tell you. If they're telling you that, they honestly are saying that because they see something or they're telling you that because they've been in the industry for longer than you and they want you to succeed. So I think that that's actually good for somebody to tell you your idea is bad. Pivot. Because you don't want to dedicate five years of your life that you're never going to get back to an idea that's not worth it. And you may have another idea that you come up on or find, join somebody else. Because even though your idea sucked or it didn't work, pan out the way that you wanted it to, you still gain so much experience from it. That's right. So I have two observations for that. Um, the first one is for uh, your, your listeners and the people in your community that are raising money, understand that when you hear things like, uh, keep in touch, or I'm interested if you find a lead. That's really a manifestation of the behavior of, of the VC basically not wanting to say no, because VCs are always afraid, and angels too, that if they say no, and you turn out to be successful, they will miss an opportunity to invest. So if you go into fundraising expecting to get honest answers from people, you're not gone to because it's not the nature of, of things. That's number one. The second thing is, it's really important that if you go into a meeting with an individual investor like me or somebody else, and they say, uh, I don't see it, I don't get it, I love you, but I, it sucks, don't ever stop. Because remember that you're getting uh, advice from a person from a particular moment in their life where they have, they may have had a bad day, they may have a portfolio company that's a conflict, they may not have any money to invest, and they're saying no. Or frankly, and this is true, VCs often don't understand your business as well as you do because they've looked at it for a half hour. So to assume that because somebody's standing on top of a bunch of money and they invest, they're smarter than you, frankly, can often be a fallacious assumption. So my best advice is when you're fundraising, um, don't go look for money unless you really have your story together. Tell your story to a couple of close advisors who will be critical that you're not looking for, for money. This is why having a board of advisors or close confidence is so important for an entrepreneur. And then when you go, don't ask one person, ask five or 10 and triangulate on what you're learning. If all 10 say this is a terrible idea, my guess says it's a terrible idea. If one says it's a terrible idea and the other nine say this is kind of cool, then the one who didn't like, you know what? I passed on YouTube. True story. When YouTube was very early, and I'm not, I'm, I'm telling you this to give you an idea of if you're listening to me thinking I'm a smart guy, I'm not that smart. I was sitting in my office one day and I just started investing. A friend of mine who was an investor in the Valley called me up and said, I want to show you the stupidest deal I've ever seen in my life. It's like, oh, this I got to see. So uh, this is before Zoom. So he said, check out this URL. And he gives me the URL and I look at it. It's a bunch of poorly produced videos randomly presented. And I thought, how could this possibly ever make money? That was for YouTube. You know, and he was looking at the seed investment in YouTube and he didn't make it because he thought it was stupid too. So. Don't ever assume VCs are geniuses. They're human beings. They make mistakes and they could be making a mistake about your deal too. Wow. 
it's we like to talk about those types of like what if moments but if you're always going to be living in the what if you're going to miss on the future so it's you shouldn't you shouldn't be stressing too much about the past then you've been able to overcome i'm sure that deal as well as others that you've passed on and i'm sure you've invested in some deals that you wish you haven't but there's a lot of stuff that that builds your confidence and what you've been able to accomplish has been recognized by a lot of the press as oh, the Washington Business Journal referred to you as a tech titan. Uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia uh, referred to you as part of the Power 100. How has being called by the press, by those nicknames, how has that helped you with your confidence as well as your global reach? You know, it's a funny thing. And I, I think that um, I think that the reality is that if you're the kind of person who gets confidence from those type of accolades, you're probably never going to get those accolades. You know what I mean? Because, because what I have found is that people, when, when you get to the point where a community recognizes you or the media recognizes you as an authority, it means that a lot of people are already talking about you as that authority, right? The media doesn't designate. The media looks to see, well, who are people talking about? And people won't look to you as leadership or as authority, remember, unless you're you're honest, you're authentic, and you give good advice. So if you're the kind of person who continually is authentic, gives good advice, and people come to, it's going to make you more confident. It could also make you arrogant, which means the last point, which is really important, is that to really succeed in life, I think, you have to be self-aware. In other words, if you start to believe your own press clippings, you're dead. You know, when I saw that I won this award, I didn't think, oh, good, now I've made it. I thought, well, it's nice to be acknowledged, but you know, there are years when I don't win these awards and other people do, it doesn't make me less confident. So anyway, but I, you're, you're kind of pointed out, there are moments where um, people acknowledge you and it feels good. It does make you feel better about yourself. There's, there's out without question. I mean, how could it not? When a lot of people ask me, like, what do you think I should do for college? Right? Do you think I should take this job? Do you think I should take that job? And they start talking about the salary. And I start talking about like, you don't want to do the job just because of the money. And a lot of people that have these ideas of like, oh, maybe I should start this company. But then I also have this other idea on the side where they're going to be paying me a lot more. And I always say that you should take that chance on yourself because in life, especially when you're young, when you don't have a family to support, when you don't have a wife, when you don't have kids, you should bet on yourself and take the chance on yourself. Because when you're going to be older in life and you have you need to put food on the table, you have a wife, you have kids, you can't take that same chance. Unless you're lucky enough, like I I am and, and was, to have a wife that said to me one day when I said I wanted to start being a VC and I said I wanted to start being a lawyer, said, like, I don't care. I live in a tent in Montana with you. You know, so let's let's understand that what you're really describing is is a couple of things. One, um, when we are younger in our lives, the most important thing, most important thing without question is to is to work hard at something that's going to teach you things that you can build the rest of your life on. You know, I just when I was uh, finished up law school, uh, I was trying to decide whether to be an investment banker in London or, or a, a corporate lawyer in New York. And I had opportunities to do both. And I sat down with a good mentor of mine and I said, so which should I choose? And he said, it doesn't matter which one you choose. What matters is that you spend four years working your guts out to learn how to be a great deal architect. I don't care whether you do it as a banker's lawyer, it doesn't matter. Get the job that's going to let you do that. 
And as it turned out, the best opportunity for me to do that was as a deal lawyer doing mergers and acquisitions in New York, rather than being an arbitrage trader in London. So I took the job. I went off, you know, and that was great advice. The other piece of advice I got actually from my partner, Mark Walsh, the, uh, the founder of Ruxton, years ago, before Ruxton, when I was doing my Amplifier Ventures uh, business, before I started, I was a very prominent venture capital lawyer in, in the Mid-Atlantic, one of the leading guys that have really big practice, a lot of companies. And that's what allowed me to have the credibility of a VC. I was a VC lawyer. And I sat down with Mark and I said, I want to start a venture capital firm. And I'd never done anything like that before. And he, and he looked at me and he said, why do you want to do it? And I thought it was a trick question. And I said to him, well, that's stupid. I literally had that kind of relationship. That's a stupid question. Um, I obviously want to do it because I want to get rich. And he looked at me and he said, wrong answer. I was like, dude, what are you talking about? Wrong answer. He said, listen, I cannot promise you that taking an entrepreneurial journey, you're going to be rich because that is in the laps of the gods. There's so much randomness in entrepreneurship. You better like the journey. You better like the journey because I can promise you that if you like the journey, you'll be okay. And I thought, well, it's easy for you to say you're successful, but I didn't say that to him. I just took the advice and I went away. And about a month later, I had a guy who was a very successful seed investor, again, was a close friend, who said, let me tell you something. If you're really serious about this, understand that being an entrepreneur means you're going to leave work one day and be absolutely convinced you are completely and utterly screwed. And you're going to go to sleep and you wake up in the morning, look at your email and realize the night before you were optimistic. I was like, really? He said, yeah. If you're in that moment and you still want to be an entrepreneur, then guess what? You want to be an entrepreneur. And then I had, I had some things happen to me. Portfolio companies going sideways, investors uh, of mine being pissed off, whatever. And I thought, oh, my God, this is terrible. And then I had a moment. I said, but you know what? It's my terrible. And that's when I realized that my friends were right. I liked being an entrepreneur even when it was hard. And so what I would say to everybody, you included, is that what our 20s are about is figuring out what our core skills are going to be and what makes us happy. We want to work large organizations. We want to be on our own and be really tactical about the jobs we take based upon not how much money we make, but how much do we learn, right? So if somebody, if somebody comes to you, oh, do I do a two quarter million job or do I do a $50,000 job? My question is going to be, A, can you afford to take a $50,000 job? And if you can, will you learn more? And if the answer is you'll learn more, then take the $50,000 job every day. Yeah, and one thing that I always like to tell people is that learning something new will never be harmful and That's i right. would and you could always learn something from somebody else and the minute you think you're the smartest person in the room is the minute that you know you're in the wrong place and you have the wrong mindset and you're not gonna be as successful as you once were and it's That's time for change but what you pointed out though that requires enormous amount of self-awareness and also security and willing to be uncomfortable and you know we use a line often to describe um really bad founders a bad founder is a B player because B players hire C and D players. A great founder is an A player. A players, like you described, A players are secure enough to hire A people. They, in fact, they can be a B and hire A's because they know what they know and they know what they don't know and they're happy with that. And they're happy feeling like an imposter because they know that they'll get through it. You know, last point, I just want to make sure we just hammer home. Learning new things is really important. Over time, learning things to cluster is essential. I'm, you know, when I, I'm literally, before I came on the phone today, uh, you know, I, I was dealing with some stuff here at Marymount around how to market things. Well, I got a really deep marketing experience 
you know, because I've done a lot of it over the years. So I have an informed opinion. Uh, with respect to Ruxton, we got an issue right now with one of our portfolio companies we're working through with their legal issues. And I'm able to look at everybody and say, you know what, we can argue about this, but the reality is, is I know better than you what the outcome's going to be. It's really useful. Wow, that's amazing. One thing that I think is super exciting about the startup ecosystem is that early stage, because I think later on, when you start looking at like the cash flow, the EBITDA, it kind of starts to make more sense. But early on, pre-revenue, all you're betting on is the founder and the idea. And I think Ruxton Ventures focuses specifically on the seed and early stage. Can you talk a little bit more about specifically what interests you to that stage? Well, Mark and I both have been in business for long enough to, uh, to know why we do what we do, right? And what we both really, really like to do is, is help people grow as CEOs. I mean, we, we like it, you know, we like it because uh, we're at a point in our lives where we enjoy the process of helping other people get to where we've gotten to because it makes us happy as people. But also, frankly, we have, we're good at it. You know, we're, we're good at it. We, we, we've been able over the years to calibrate when do you give the advice, when do you sit back, when do you, you know, it's, we're good at it and we like it. And so, um, yeah, when you look at investing, it's absolutely true that when you invest in a business, once it's more obvious, it's more of a financial play. You're putting money in to get money out. Doesn't mean that it's not valuable. It's a different type of skill set. You're basically keeping the company on track. When you're working with a seed stage or an early stage business, you really are investing in the founder and the team and their willingness to want to be coached and to get involved with you in a way that's rewarding for everybody. You know, in a funny way, remember early in the conversation I told you about being in a band, you know, being a musician, seed stage investing is putting bands together. They really, it's, it's, it's getting a bunch of people together, you're dreaming, you're creative, you're thinking about which product, you know, where's the product market fit? How do you know when to scale? How do you handle the marketing? How do you handle the ups and downs while you're dreaming about how great it'll be when you have a big unicorn? It's really, honestly, it's more similar to the feeling I had when I was 18, 19 years old, chasing record contracts, imagining what it would be like to have a platinum record and be doing shows, sold out shows around the world. So you can draw your own conclusion about uh, whether or not I accomplished that by the fact that we're standing today and I'm not Bono, but it's the same thing. It's, it's dreaming big and the fun of it. So when you ask, why do Mark and I do what we do? We do it because we have fun. And the people that we work with have fun and we're accomplishing stuff together. And I think that's what ultimately, that's what every founder should look for in a financial partner, yeah. you know, is are they, why are they doing this? And if the answer is they're just doing it to make money, understand that you're a financial investment and you're taking their money because they want you to make more. And that's a kind of relationship. Or are they doing this because they want to make money, but they want to have fun. They want to be salient. They want to be in, enriched. Those are the type of people you want to have as a seed and early stage investor, in my opinion. I think that there is an important lesson in your story is the importance of pivoting. You realize that there's a lot of musicians out there and you may be really good, but there may be Peter, people out there that are better. And yeah. you took that pivot. And that's something that's super important, especially when you're so early on, is that you listen to your investors, you listen to your advisors, because they are advisors and investors for a reason. And you let them invest for that reason. So take their advice. I think that's right. Although 
really a smart investor and a smart founder is not listening. The investor and the founder are both listening to the market. And this is a mistake that I think many people make. They, particularly in the earliest stages, there is a tendency to get seduced by the technology. My tech is cool. Well, it may be cool, but it may not be a company. It may just be a small piece of tech that goes in a larger tech, or it may be that the market doesn't really care. You know, look, make no mistake, this device, this, this Apple phone that Steve Jobs basically foisted upon all, this, all these years ago, there was nothing in that that was technologically new. Nothing. All he did was integrate a bunch of existing technologies with, with design, but he was right about how that would create demand. So it's funny. I teach in the MBA program here. I've taught, the, I've taught MBAs for years. And one of the first questions I'll ask them is, where's growth come from? And you get all these wonderful academic answers. You know, growth comes from there, blah, 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 blah. So, you know what growth comes from? More people want your stuff than you currently have available. That's it. So if the market is speaking, then you have a company. If the market's not speaking, you have a lab experiment. And, the, and that's why, see, look, that's what lean startup methodology is really designed to do. You know, get you out there as soon as possible so customers are basically telling you what they think. And, and a smart investor and a smart entrepreneur get as quickly as possible into the rough of tumble of commerce and learn. And that's when you pivot, right? When you send something out, it's like markets like, Meh, who cares? Or, you know, we got a portfolio company right now. You want to talk about high class problem? We're, we're going off in the marketplace and customers are saying, you're not charging us enough. I mean, really? you're not charging us enough. I mean, you don't always learn bad things. So my point is you, you, you only learn by going off the market. And the sooner you get to the market, the more you learn. And that's when you pivot. Wow. Thank you so much for coming on. And it sounds like you were given so much great advice throughout your career and you gave so much great advice. If everything you were ever taught was erased and you could only leave one piece of advice, what would it be? The, the, this will sound trite, uh, but it, it's deeply important. You have to figure out why you're on the earth. You have to figure out what is your theme. What, and, and people will say, what makes you happy? Which is incredibly trite. Um, or if you find what you like, it's not work. Those are symptoms of the more important thing, which is if you know why you're getting up in the morning, and if you can provide some sort of connection with everything you do to your core theme, you will be a happy person. That's the best of, and, and I, I gotta tell you, that would, be the, that would be the one thing I'd want everybody to take away from this conversation. Figure out what truly drives you, come up with a theme, and then your life will make sense and you're much more likely to be happy.